Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us both in person here in the building and online. Please stand up. We're going to sing and declare the praises of the Lord together. Come on. Praises, I stand to testify, for I was dead. 
Guys, would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for that reminder. Thank you for the contrasting reminder in that song, God, that you have taken that which was dead and have made it alive. Where you, where we see bones, you create armies. Where we see graves, you are making gardens. And Lord, I'm thinking about our world and where we see destruction, turmoil. We see pain. We see the ever-present um, just stain and twisting of sin because of Christ there is resurrection. Because of Christ, there is life, there is salvation, there is rescue. So Lord, we just declare, we proclaim in this place that there is nothing better than you. In the powerful name of Christ, we all pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. It's good to be with you online and in the building. And a few things I want to share with you. We had our drive-in movie uh, and and we watched two hours of Mary Poppins Returns and it was freezing, but it was wonderful. (laughs) Some of you were here, like I keep hearing it was great, but it was cold, right? Um, and so it was good to be with you, and it was we saw about 60 or so cars, and I'm telling you, I, I, we had a lot to thank for Zach. You know, Zach tied down the screen early on, and I'm like watching the screen. I'm thinking, it's either going to be like Wizard of Oz or Mary Poppins we're going to be showing tonight. So, you know, I, it was just, it was windy, but it was cool. It was an opportunity to connect with people and, you know, just remind people that God's not left us that we've got community under Christ and in Christ. It doesn't matter if we can gather online or in a building or if we're here or we're not. Like, Christ is the banner. It's not a building. And so it's just exciting. It was really, really cool. So look out. More opportunities and more things are coming with that 30-foot blow-up screen. I'm thinking, man, in youth ministry, why did I not have a blow-up screen? Like, come on, this is the coolest thing ever. So look out for more things. We're going to be putting more opportunities uh, out on the calendar. So check it out. 30-foot blow-up screen. Watch out. Last thing is just Wednesday nights have been rolling men's and women's groups. Just come, you know, at the RSVP or let us know. Just show up. We'll get you connected. Kids ministry, student ministry, um, middle school meets on Wednesday nights at 630, um, as well as kids ministry. And then um, high school ministry meets on Sunday nights uh, at 630 till 8. And so check out all those different opportunities. And there's all kinds of information on our website or feel free to message us. But I want to pull up a verse for us as we kind of move to a giving moment. This, this is in Leviticus, right? So we're going, we're, I love this book. And so Leviticus, he, he's, he's talking about how when we give, it's holy. And I think that's super important for us to understand that when we give, that God looks at that as holy. So, uh, so Leviticus 27 says this. This is one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. And it continues on. It says, if you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. So as we give, God has setting that apart as holy. And isn't that cool? We can be a part of, we can be a part of something that's holy, be a part of worshiping the Lord God who is holy and we can give and he considers that holy. So as you give online, many of you have already given online. We just thank you for your faithfulness. You can give online through the mail or there's boxes on the wall, but it's good to be on mission with you guys. Would you guys pray with me as we continue on a worship? Lord, we love you. And, and again, just reminded of that contrast that once in my life I was dead and that you found me. And Lord, I remember the moment when I made that decision to follow you. And I know that that moment where I recognized that I could not do enough to earn your love, that I couldn't be good enough, that I had to have a relationship with you, that I had to admit that I needed a savior. God, I remember that. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the time of day. I remember everything. And Lord, I'm thanking you for saving me. And Lord, this morning, I pray that as we're wrestling with the truth, we're wrestling with this world, God, that we would just know that um, Jesus, you are the only answer. You're the only redemption that we'll find ever. God, you are the only answer to the problems, to everything that we face in this world. Christ, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, as we um, give, thank you for taking something like money. And as we give, God, that you set it apart as holy, that we are a part of the greater work of Christ. Lord, thank you for that reminder and for that truth in your word this morning. Lord, we love you, and we lay things all at your feet, Jesus, in your name.
of that song we tune our life father we love you soften our hearts as we hear your word we thank you for your son jesus in his name morning. Let's thank our great God. What a great God we serve. Great God we serve. I, uh, I want to encourage you today. We're starting a new series, The Blessed Life. As you come in for the next few weeks, we're going to have the, uh, the, the listening guide out there. So if you want to follow along, fill in the blanks, those are, those are going to start to be available on the uh, table out there. But I want you to think about this. How many people want to be blessed? 
Raise your hand if you want to be blessed, all right? Pretty much everybody in the church. And, uh, and, and so when you think about it, now how many people want to be blessed by God? Let's talk about that, right? You want God's blessing on your life. And so what could be more important right now in our life, especially in the world that we've been living in, than to be blessed by God? Because God, God has blessings for his children. And think about that. The blessings that God has for his children, how do you receive those blessings? Do you receive those blessings? And we're going to talk about how to receive the blessings of God. And, uh, and, and where we're going to go is Matthew chapter 5 is the greatest sermon that was ever preached. I didn't preach it. Jesus preached it, okay? And, and he, he gives a whole list of, uh, of the blessed life, and it's the introduction to his sermon. He, he started out, if you go over into Matthew chapter 4, you see he's in the wilderness temptation, and uh, so he had been baptized. He goes off into the wilderness temptation for 40 days and 40 nights, and now he's early on in his ministry, and he stands up, and he gives this, actually doesn't stand up, we're going to see that here. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. He gives this message. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, this is so cool. In those days, the, the teacher would sit and the people would stand. I'm going to try that. Let me get a stool here. Everybody get up. Right. Oh, yeah. Not in America, right? But that was the, in those days, the teacher would sit there, and he would just, and so as he goes up, it says he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And so what we see here is that we have the his, his closest came in, and many people said, well, the Sermon on the Mount was actually for the disciples. But if you go and you look on into chapter 6 and 7, you see that towards the end, he talks about the multitude. So we see that the disciples were the closest. Like, his disciples came in tight, and he's giving them something. He's training his disciples, but also the, the crowd comes in. And as you go through this, you're going to see that Jesus gives the blessed life. Warren Wearsby said that the Sermon on the Mount was given to explain to the disciples the kind of kingdom that Jesus went to build in the lives of his followers. So he's going to describe for us, this is what the kingdom is going to look like. And so then, verse 2, it says, then he opened his mouth and he taught them. And as he teaches them, this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so where did the blessed life come from? Jesus. Jesus says, blessed, blessed, blessed. Now, there's just one one thing is we're going to start going into this. We're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to look at these statements. And what, what is Jesus meaning? But I want you to define the word blessed. So turn to your neighbor and define what does blessed mean. When you hear the word blessed or blessing, what does that mean? Go. You got, you got 20 seconds. Go. Okay, everybody has an idea. You know, I want to be blessed, but I really don't know what blessed is. I, I think it's from God, and it's, it's kind of one of those Christianese terms, isn't it? You know, it's like you only say blessed at church. Maybe you say, you know, somebody sneezes, you say, God bless you, right? You might hear the word God bless out there. But as, as we go through this, I want you to think about this. What does the word blessed mean? So I'm going to give you a definition here. The Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so whenever they were writing, and they're, they're taking the words of Jesus down, he used this word, makarios, okay? So he, the word blessed is a Greek word, meaning uh, it's makarios, and it means this. It means happy. So you can read it, happy. Happy are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and so as you go through this, you start to say, okay, wait a minute. This is happiness. God's giving happiness. And when Jesus did this, it was the opposite of what the people naturally thought. And today, it probably is opposite of what we naturally think as well. Jesus raised eyebrows every time he talked. And so as he's given us, he says, listen, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are the poor. Like, like we don't think like that. Uh, and then, you know, have you ever seen these called the Beatitudes? 
Raise your hand if you've, you've seen the Beatitudes, right? I have for, for many years wondered, where did they get this word Beatitude? You know, and I was like, it's because my Sunday school teacher said, you better be this attitude, right? That's, that's what I thought they were trying to teach me when I was a kid. Beatitudes actually comes from a Latin word, and it's beatus. And, uh, and beatus means to be blessed, okay? <laughs> so, so you're right back there. And it was a Latin, uh, the, the, the Bible was translated out of Greek into Latin. So you remember the Latin Vulgate, right? So it was translated over into Latin. So they came up with this word, the Beatitudes. And so as you're looking at it, it's, it's really the attitudes that ought to be in the life of a believer. As, as we go through this, these are the attitudes that ought to be in the life of every believer, so, so we, we look at this today, and we see that the word means happy. It's a, it's a matter of your attitude. And what Jesus was going to do is he was going to come, and he was going to contrast what the teachers of the law had said. He was going to contrast true righteousness versus outward conformity. And you see, everybody understood the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments were, were, were potent. They were powerful. They, they remember, you know, it's in their history that God wrote, them, wrote the Ten Commandments on a tablet of stone. And they came down. Mount, Moses came down off the mountain and gave them to the people. And it was a strong, I mean, this is the law came down. And so what happened was you, you had a society of people that became very, very good at following that law. Uh, the Pharisees, they, they became very good at following this law. And they had a very good outward conformity, but they had nothing in the heart. And so when Jesus came and he's talking in his, in his great sermon, and he's given the blessed life, the first thing he does is he comes and he goes right after the heart. And so today, you know, this is still true in religion. Religion still goes after the outward. But Jesus always goes to the heart. Remember that. Religion will always go and make you perform, make you conform. But Jesus goes right to the heart. And by the way, when you go to the heart, that affects everything else. But when you just go to the outside, it rarely affects the heart. So the people have become really good at this. And Jesus is raising their eyebrows uh, as, he, as he teaches them. And he's saying, listen, these are the attitudes that my followers ought to have. And so as he begins to teach us, I want you to catch this because he's not saying, I just wish you a blessing today. I just hope that you feel good and that, that you'll just be my nice little followers. No, he's saying, blessed is the man who... Blessed is this person. If you are the person that does this, you are blessed. But there's another word that was the opposite of blessed, and it is woe. Woe is the man. So when you're looking at these, you could, you could look at it like this, and he says, uh, the very first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Woe to the man who is not poor in spirit. And so Jesus is going through, and he's giving us these things. And, and when, when you start to look, and we're going to focus right here today. Go back there. We're going to focus right here today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is our, our, our key verse today. And, and I want you to think about it, because when you think of the poor in spirit, the very first thing that comes to your mind is this right here. Now we're ahead there, all right? That's the very first thing that comes to your mind. You start thinking about, uh, about poor people. And, and quite often I have looked at that and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, there are just poor people. And you know what? I think that, um, that, that there are poor people, and God has told us to go and care for the poor people. But that is not what he's talking about here. You know, when you see a picture like this of a beggar, you see somebody that's uh, on the street corner, and you think of somebody that's poor. You think of those shacks over in Calcutta, and, and there's definitely a crisis there. These are things that we must respond to, but that's not what Jesus was talking about when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You, you know, in the scripture, there were two words for, for poor. Uh, there was one word that was poor, and you could be a working poor person. In other words, the, the, there were people who were gleaners out in the field. You go in the Old Testament, and, and God told the owners of the field to leave extra food out there, leave crops out there so that the, so that the working poor could come out and they could work and get the, the crops. And they, it was called gleaning. But there was another word, and it's beggar. And as you look at that picture, that's what, it, what you think of. And Jesus, the word that he uses here when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's using this word. Blessed are the beggars in spirit. What? 
This is so, so different than anything that anybody had ever taught because everybody taught how to, how to be a performer and how to conform and how to do it from the outside. But Jesus said, I'm looking for people to bless, and as I bless them, they will be happy because they are poor in spirit. They are coming to me, begging me. He's talking about spiritual poverty. He's talking about maintaining this attitude, and it's not just, not just to start your relationship with God, but for the journey, for life that we are begging of our God. So I want to give you a definition this morning of poor in spirit, all right? How do we define poor in spirit? Poor in spirit is this. To be poor in spirit is to humbly depend on God instead of myself. Let's read that together. Poor in spirit, to humbly depend on God instead of myself. And so this is, this is the crux of where it is. So if you're looking at your life and you say, I need, I, I need God to work in an area of my life, let's go to your relationships. God says, I need you to be poor in spirit. I need you to be begging to my throne, and that's when I work. God, God does his work there. How about in your career, in your work? Listen, uh, God says, I need you to be poor in spirit. Come to my hand. I am the provider. Come unto me. In, in your career, in your health, in everything, he says, I want you to be poor in spirit. And Jesus came along, and he gave a, uh, uh, over in Luke chapter 18, he gives a parable. And this is very interesting because uh, it shows who's poor in spirit and who's not. Catch this. Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Now, isn't that kind of an interesting statement? Jesus is looking and he sees these people who are confident. Uh, you know, I've kept the law. I've done some really good things. Let me tell God how I could help him. He says, to those who were confident of their own righteousness and locked down on everyone uh, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is going to tell them the story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. Let me remind you of the analogy in Scripture here. Whenever you hear about a Pharisee, you found the one who was self-righteous. He kept the law. He was all about himself. He could do the outward conformity to the best of anybody. You couldn't keep up with the Pharisees because they were that good. And, and they looked down on everybody else. They condemned everybody else. Uh, the Pharisees, do you know that the Pharisees actually, they, not only did they follow the Ten Commandments, but last week we talked about Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, all these laws. They followed all of them. They added extra laws in there. Like, like there, there was, you weren't you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. So they said, on the Sabbath, you cannot walk across the grass lest you harvest a piece of grass. Because when you walk on it, you might break a blade of grass, and therefore that would be considered harvest, and harvest would be work. Therefore, we will not walk on the grass on the Sabbath day. That's what a Pharisee was. Now let's go over to the tax collector. Tax collector didn't follow any of that. Tax collector collected tax on Sunday. He did every, or on Sabbath, I should say, excuse me, right? He collected, he collected, he worked. They were known to be thieves. They were known to be dirty people. They would, uh, they would come and they would take your tax, and if you owed $100, they would charge you 1000 pay the 100 back to Rome, and keep the rest for themselves. They were absolute thieves. And so Jesus says, a Pharisee and a tax collector. When he said this, man, their, their, their antlers went right up. They said, we got this. We understand what you're talking about. The next verse. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Like the robbers, like the evildoers, like the adulterers. Or God, I'm so thankful I'm not even like that tax collector over there. Wow. Verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. And he's coming to God with his own righteousness. God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. 
Do you ever say that? I'm not like those people. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you see this contrast. You see this one over here who's come and, and, and basically has kept the law, who's been a good person, who's done all these wonderful things. And then you have this other despicable person, on the other hand, who has come in and he cries out to God. He says, God, have mercy on me. The really good person says, oh, thank God I'm not bad. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, I tell you that that despicable tax collector rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who will humble themselves will be exalted. Poor in spirit. The tax collector was poor in spirit. It was a, you see, poor in spirit is a position of humility. And as he cried out, God, be merciful to me, this is the attitude that God's called us to have daily. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, work in my life. God, in my relationships. Until we are humble, Christ is never precious to us. Until you're humble, Christ is never precious to you because you don't truly understand the work that he has done. You know, you look at a humble person versus a prideful person. Typically, the prideful person doesn't even know they're prideful. You remember that when you were in high school? Remember that guy you said or the girl you said, they're so conceited? Do you remember that? Um, that that's, uh, that's because they didn't know they were conceited. They were just so, as we say, full of themselves, right? And, and so that they didn't even know that because they were so filled with the pride. And so as long as we are not poor in spirit, we cannot receive the grace. We, we, you don't even want the grace because you've got it made. You, 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 you're telling God, look what I can do for you. And God's saying, did you forget? I've done it all for you already. Uh, so so we, we see that we are, uh, we are people of spiritual poverty. And, and we cannot understand Christ's riches until we come to that brokenness of saying, all right, God, I'm a beggar and I need your hand. So how do you do that? How do we do that practically in our life? And I'm going to give you a couple thoughts here today, all right? There's, there's many ways, but, but one of them is, you know, we, we said to humbly depend on God and not myself. We've got to humbly depend on God and not myself. So what are a couple areas that we need to depend on God? Number one, depend on God for daily decisions. Depend on God for daily decisions. Th think with me about this because you have decisions that you have to make every day. Every day, you, you, need, you need to, uh, you get up, you go to work, and you got to make a decision. You come home, you got, in your family, there's decisions, and there's decisions every day, every day. And so as you're coming along and you're dealing with life's choices, life's decisions, God says, I want you to depend on me for every day, everyday life. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. Would you read that with me? There is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to death. Do you realize that in your life, when you go to work tomorrow, when, you, when uh, young people are going into school tomorrow, or should I say going online to school tomorrow, right? Whatever it is, you have choices that are before you, and God says when you do what is right in your mind, it typically leads to death. But when you come and you go to God and you say, God, I'm a beggar. I need your strength. Lord, help me through this day. God, be my guide. Be my director. And God says he promises to do it. Over in Proverbs chapter 3, check this out. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Did you ever lean on something? This feels pretty good right now. Jesus sat the whole time. You guys should really be convicted about that. <laughs> Listen, when you lean on something, somebody, you're putting your trust there. Like right now, some of you are like praying, I know what I'm doing up here. The front row's a little concerned right now. When you, when you lean on something, you place your trust there. And God says, lean not to your own understanding. Don't 
Don't come this way. So now God's given you some incredible wisdom. I mean, some of you are very wise people. Some of you are very smart people. God's given you talents. He's given you skills. But God says, don't lean on that. Lean on me. And some of you are saying, when you're not strong, right? Lean on me. Lean on me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in everything you do. Now, listen, many people lean on God for big decisions. Like, I'm going to get married. That's a big decision. I'm going going to choose a career. That's a big decision. God says, in all of your ways... So, so what are all the ways that you need to acknowledge him? How about tomorrow morning? You're going to go to work on time or not? You're going to be a person of integrity or not? You're going to uh, make decisions, you know, j- just some of the smallest decisions. And, and God says, I want you to bring everything to me in all of your ways. Acknowledge him. And he promises to direct your path. He continues on. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Listen, it's so easy for us just to think that I figured it out and, well, I feel good about it. Listen, feeling good about it isn't part of the picture. God says, I'll take care of all that. I want you to trust me. Come to me and trust me, and I will guide you. So do not be wise in your own eyes. God is going to place you in a, in a place where you've got to trust him, and he's going to do some incredible things to help you in your life, and he's going to work in your life and do some, uh, some powerful things if you're trusting him and not leaning on your own understanding. Come and lean on God. Trust him. Place your faith there and make this practical. James 1.5 says this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who, forgives, uh, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You want to know how to run your life? There it is. And I lack wisdom. See, the spiritually poor can come to God and say, God, I lack wisdom. You may not lack knowledge. Wisdom is how do I apply that knowledge? When do I do that? How do I do that? At what's the right timing, right? So he, God says here, He doesn't come to you, like if you come to him and ask him for wisdom, God doesn't say, okay, you knucklehead, you should have came three days ago. I've been sitting here watching you, and you've really made a mess out of your life, you know? God doesn't do that. God says, if you lack wisdom, come to him. He generously gives it to you without finding fault. I just just love that because that's the grace of God, is it not? I, I go out and I screw it up. I make poor decisions. I make bad decisions. And, and God says, listen, I'm still God. And if you come to me, I'm going to still help you. And so that's the kind of God that we serve. Amen? Let's thank our God this morning. He is great. He's a great God. We must always celebrate the grace of God. And so as we're poor in spirit, this is the gift that you get. Because if you're not poor in spirit, you're not even going to come and ask God for wisdom. God's not going to be able to help you because you're not coming to him. He says, if you come to me, if you're poor in spirit, you come to me like that beggar and put your, your cup up there. He's going to fill it. He's going to overflow it. I depend on my strength, not my own. Depend on God's strength, not my own. I want to encourage you folks. It's so easy. We are people. Uh, we, we are Americans. We've been taught to be strong. But God says, listen, I want you to depend on my strength. At the end of the day, you're tired. You know why? Because you're human. I was with a group of pastors recently, and we were all kind of just sharing, and, and, uh, and we all went around the table, and we all said, we're so tired because we're human. Uh, the pandemic created the most challenging time that we've ever faced, and, and uh, you know, there's just a lot of mental things, a lot of emotional things, that, as are you going through your career and through your jobs. And so I got with a few other pastors, and these pastors, we were all saying, man, we are just so tired. It's because we're human. And so what we have to do is we have to come and we have to rely on God's strength, not my own strength. Um, your strength is limited, but God's strength is unlimited. God's strength is infinite. God's strength is inexhaustible. He will never run out of strength. Psalm 84.5 says, check this out. He says, 
How blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Happy. How blessed. How the blessings from God from the man who comes and his strength is in the Lord. Uh, You know, in the darkest moments of your life, you're going to need the strength of God. Because if you haven't had the darkest moment yet, it's coming. I, I don't like that forecast. But I know it's coming. I know that there are bad days and there will be more bad days ahead. And that's where I need the strength of the Lord. And so as we come and we go through the darkest moments, we need God's strength. And we don't get through this without God's strength. I see many people that have burned and crashed because they tried to do this on their own. Uh, Relationships, you need the strength of God. Amen? Man, I'm surprised not a louder amen out there on that one guys got it easy out there, I guess, right? You know what I mean? Like, you put a man and a woman together in the same house, you need the strength of God. You need the almighty miracle of God, right? You know, it all looks good. I, I did a wedding yesterday for, the, for a community, somebody in the community, and, you know, they're up there, and it's outside, you know, and then she looks like a princess, and he just looks like a groom, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Do they know what's coming? You know? Like, this is so wonderful. And, I, and I'm, t- I'm going through my speech, and they're like, all right, get to the vows, you know? And, and they just can't wait to be together the rest of their life. And, and, and listen, you need the strength of God. And that's what I told them yesterday. You won't be able to, to be as successful for 50, 60 years without the strength of God. It, it's hard. Listen, with God, it's hard. (laughs) Not that hard, I'm sorry. (laughs) But listen, it's hard because I don't rely on his strength. Let me correct that, okay? Um, Marriage takes work. And you need the strength of God. Your career takes work. You need the strength of God. Raising children, that's another dispensing of the miracle working power. I look, you've got family of teenagers down here. God bless them, man. You've got wonderful family. Let's give them a hand. They're wonderful, smiling, happy today down here. I love it. Listen, when you're going through the tough times of life, you need the strength of God. And I love to see your family smiling. It's awesome. And, and you know what? I know there's days that we're not always smiling. And he's still awesome then. And his strength is still awesome then. And I want to encourage you to that. Um, Hudson Taylor was a very famous missionary. And uh, he, he went to China, actually. Uh, he was a brilliant man. He was the pioneer of modern missions, if you will. And later in age, he, he got tired and he got worn out. He lived to be an old man. And in his old age, he lost his health and he became so weak. And he wrote this. This was in a, a, a letter to his friend. He said, I am so weak. I can no longer work. I am so weak, I can no longer study. I am so weak, I can no longer read my Bible. I cannot even pray. I can only lie still in the arms of God like a little child in trust. And folks, that's the days that will come for all of us. And God says, listen, my strength is sufficient. My grace is enough. I will be strong. God's economy is for you to be strong. When, uh, when we are weak, he is strong. And so it's so easy, for, and, and I have to struggle with this all day long, but to be poor in spirit, we see God's blessing. And that's the very first of his, of his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? So that you will be part of God's plan. You see that kingdom of heaven thing. This is God's plan revealed through you. And number three is depend on God's timing. Depend on God in my circumstances. You know, it's so easy in a moment of circumstances to lose our mind. But, uh, but I want to encourage you today to become people that, uh, that depend on God. And, and circumstances get us all sideways. We, we've all been there. We all get sideways. But when I depend on God in my circumstances, it changes everything. Um, and that is because God, God has, a, has a plan. The broken in spirit do not complain 
about their circumstances. Read this with me. This person who is poor in spirit does not complain about their circumstances. I was reading this by one commentator, and I said, why do you have to put that in there? I was doing pretty good on this thing till that statement. And what he said was this. He said that, that be, the reason for that is because you can trust God. Like, God does not owe me anything. My circumstances are so bad. I'm coming to God. He does not owe me my, uh, my health. He does not owe me anything. I'm totally dependent on him. I'm totally relying on him. So therefore, I do not complain when my circumstances are bad. And folks, the circumstances, again, they, they rage. They go from calm to, to vicious storms. And when it's in those vicious storms, the broken in spirit do not demand of God. They do not go out to other vices. They come and depend and rely on God. God has a timing, and his timing is perfect. I was talking to a guy one time, and he was telling me about, how, about timing for how he cooks. And he, he was known for his spaghetti sauce. And he told me the answer is low and slow. He told me he got up at 6 in the morning to put his spaghetti sauce on. I just looked at him. I said, what? He goes, yeah, it brings out all the flavor, and I cook it low, and I cook it slow. It's all day long. I said, excuse me. Let me tell you how this works at our house. <laughs> we get a can of Prego. We put it on a, pan, on a saucepan, and we stick it in the microwave. And I think about 38 seconds later, we're ready to go. And this man had his on for six hours. No wonder his sauce was way better than my prego. But I want you to catch it because God has a timing. And his timing, time changes everything. It really does. So many times when we are not poor in spirit, we want to demand of God's timing. Look here at Psalm 31, verse 14 and 15. It says, I am trusting in you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. That's a position of spiritual poverty. God, my position, my future belongs to you. Rescue me from those who hurt me. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has made everything beautiful in his time. In its time, he has made everything beautiful. And I can tell you, as I'm looking back on the life that God has given me so far, I can tell you that this verse is absolute truth. It is beautiful. The things that I didn't understand 20 years ago that were happening 30 years ago, I'm looking back and I'm saying, okay, God, that was beautiful. I look back as God was preparing me personally for what I'm doing today. And I look back even 10 years ago and I was in the vice and I was warring with myself many times. I can look back and I can tell you, it's beautiful because I can see the hand of God today. And there's other things today that I don't understand the timing. And it may be when I'm 70 or 80, it may be when I'm in heaven that I will be able to see the beauty of God's timing. He has set eternity in the heart of every human. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I don't understand what he does. But eternity is in my heart. It's in your heart. God's given us this longing for him, for, for eternity. Number four, depend on God's protection. God has a protection. He's, uh, listen, you've you got to come, and you, we, we are not the defender. I'm not the one who does this. Only God is the one who takes care of us. Uh, look here at Psalm 212 says this. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. I'm, I'm under, his, under his protection. I'm under his wing. Psalm 62, 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. You know what he just said in that verse? He said that God basically is this. He's my protector. 
God is my savior. God is my defender. He is my victor. And he is my shelter. Now that's a person who understands and begins to live. Because you know what? Many people out there today are trying to solve issues and, and, and defend themselves. Somebody doesn't like you, you feel you've got to go defend it. God says, you don't got to defend nothing. It's okay that they don't like you. You're loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, listen, come and enjoy his refuge. He's the protector. Lastly, this morning is depend on God's provision, not mine. Depend on the riches of God. You know, God is rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've often said, uh, you know, when things get lean, I've got to remember that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm just waiting for him to give us some steak every now and then, aren't you? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Paul said this in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Look at the riches in Christ Jesus. He's the son of the living God. Jesus, the only begotten son, came. And he says, my God will supply all your need. Everything you need, emotionally, spiritually, physically, God is the one who provides. And I want you to think about this because you're the boss at your work. He is not your provider. He's simply on the valve. The, the blessings come from God. And so he opens, he opens that valve, and sometimes the boss may turn the valve, right? But it is God who is the one who, who is your supplier. So in our world right now, we have, we have many people that are searching for jobs and job transitions and so many things in the midst of this pandemic. And I want to take you back to dependence on God because God says, my God will supply all of your need. I want you to look at this picture here because this is what a spiritually poor person does. We come up before God. We say, God, fill my cup. Fill my cup, Lord. Like the publican, like the tax collector who said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tomorrow morning, I want to encourage you to get up and take your cup and say, Lord, fill my cup today. Feel it, Lord. I'm empty. I'm emotionally drained. I'm socially drained. I'm physically tired. My health is wearing on me. God, I need you right now. God, come and work. Do your work. Fill my cup. And God says, that's the spiritually poor person that I'm looking for. Because God's not looking for those Pharisees. All oh, those Pharisees, they, they were pretty good, man. They had it down. God says, no, 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 no. And when Jesus started the blessed life like that, the very first statement of this sermon, people went, okay. We've never heard that before. And today I want to take you to the cross. Because when Jesus did that, it was for you. You can't even become a follower of Christ. You cannot become a Christian unless you are spiritually poor. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to take you to that moment of spiritual poorness. Poverty, spiritual poverty. I want to take you there today, and I want to invite you to take your cup up to God and say, God, I need eternal life. Let's start right there. And if that's you here this morning, you may have heard this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. You may have heard that all of your life. And maybe today God is speaking to you. Online or here in the building, God is moving. And I want to ask you to take your cup to the king and say something like this. Dear God, my cup is empty. I'm spiritually poor. I'm a sinner. I deserve condemnation. But you said I could come to your throne right now. Oh, God, fill my cup. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. God, I invite you into my heart right here, right now. And for others in this room, maybe you have, or online, maybe you, you have been living the Christian life in your own power. You're wouldn't admit it, but kind of like the Pharisee. You got the outward 
conformity going pretty good. But God has spoken to you today about a heart. A heart that's looking. He's looking for hearts that will depend on him. So I want to invite you to that. What is the area that God has spoken to you about? Would you just meet with him right now? Just take one minute as we close and talk to God about those areas that you need to uh, that you need to meet with him about. Dark room in silence, fuel imagination. Tonight the stars shine bright and spell my name. Cause I'm in awe of your glory. I'm in awe of your glory. For a life that's so much lower than. That only you could pay I see whips, chains, and darkened hearts You feel flesh torn and deeper marks And every second passed with thoughts of me
Let this dark room in silence fuel imagination. Tonight the stars shine bright and spell my name. The winter cold chill blows away and bonfire fire warms my heart under the night sky. I'm drifting off in the deep of the valley. Your presence surrounds me. The crickets sing and trees ring, and I wanna. Cause I'm an old